The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. James, good to be back with you for another year. Uh, how was your winter? I sit right next to you every day, but how was it? It was normal winter, you know. Uh, a lot of magazine stuff going on. I know that people uh, you know, love when we get together and do these podcasts. I'm sorry that they weren't uh, a big part of the the off season to this point, but we just uh, honestly, Clay and I have been working on the magazine uh, pretty much nonstop since the uh, end of the regular season. Like for me, I was writing prospect outlooks when the playoffs were happening, so uh, it's not like we've just been sitting around uh, refusing to <laughs> pump out baseball content. There's a ton of content coming, but uh, happy to have that in the rearview mirror and, and focus on uh, drafting season. Yeah, you can check out all James's prospect write-ups, more than 1,200 write-ups through the DraftKit app on the iOS, iOS devices uh, app store, also the magazine coming soon. Great work on all that, James. And yeah, I, I get it. I, I kind of felt bad when people would say, Where, you know, where's the audio content? 
look, from here on out, you're going to get a podcast, well, starting Monday, a podcast every weekday. So cool your jets. Um, no, but absence also makes the heart grow fonder a little bit. So good to be back. We appreciate everybody tuning back into us this year. James, there's a lot you wanted to get to. You, you kind of said this might be a marathon pod. What all did you want to touch on today? Uh, well, you know, we had a request to sort of get reactions to all the prospects or at least relevant prospects that got moved in trades since the last time we talked. So I figured we could hit on that. Uh, I also have a pitcher tears article that came out last week. Um, you know, we're not going to touch on every single pitcher in there but we'll touch on the the top guys then the nl east 112 prospects you need to know article also came out last week so we can hit on uh probably the top guys in each system maybe a, a sleeper or two from each system and maybe a guy whose stock is really trending down or something like that if it's applicable and then also the catcher tears article came out earlier this week so uh, three articles to touch on all these uh, off-season moves that involve prospects to, to kind of recap quickly. But uh, yeah, this one will probably just be longer than uh, the rest of them, just since we've it's been so long, long since we did it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to doing this every Wednesday again throughout the year. Uh, pretty much the same schedule as last year, although we are down Tim Heaney. Um, it was very good working with Tim, but he has moved on. And so he is uh, not part of the crew this year. But starting on Monday, it will be uh, Jeff and Scott Jenstad. So I'm looking forward to that pod. I love those two. And we're very happy to welcome Fred Zinke to the podcast rotation this year, replacing Tim. It'll be him and Jeff on Tuesdays. Then again, me and James. Jeff and a guest, kind of a rotating industry guest spot. Then me and Todd on Fridays, as usual. So let's dive right in, James. Prospects moved in off-season trades so far. Xavier Edwards, Jake Cronenworth, part of that Tommy Pham deal. Anything changed with these two, or is this kind of a neutral move for both? I, you know, I think it's a neutral move for Edwards. He, you know, I think that the Rays obviously have about as much organizational depth as any team in baseball. But it was going to be tough for him to crack in with the Padres, too. I mean, they, they've got uh, a ton of players ahead of him in the minors. They've got a pretty uh, locked-in infield on the left side. And then they've got a ton of guys that are going to be vying for that second base job over the next couple of years, too. So I think he went from one crowded organization to another. Uh, it probably slightly ups the possibility of him being a, a part-time player just because the Rays are, are hesitant to give anyone true full-time duty but uh, I don't think it's a major knock on Edwards value uh, with Cronenworth you know it's easy to just say hey like Louis Sirius got traded uh, Ian Kinsler's no longer a, a player with that org but um, you know they've got another half dozen or so guys that are about as good as Cronenworth in terms of just a, a bet on who's going to take that second base job, if not better. I think Jerickson Profar uh, was obviously a target by, by AJ Preller, so I think he'll get a, a decently long leash here to start it start it off. But uh, Cronenworth has a, an interesting set of skills, so I'd like to see him get a look if, if Profar falters. But there's you know another four or five guys that will be competing with him for that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the next deal also involves the Rays. Matthew Libertor, of course, to St. Louis. Randy or Rosarena going to Tampa Bay. Have the Rays gotten to that point? Maybe they've been there for a while for you, but 
Um, to the point where when they acquire a guy, it means something to you and they trade him off, it, it means a significant amount? Or is it just kind of you know, them moving pieces around to try to fit in their organizational puzzle? I think it's probably more the latter. Uh, they, you know, I thought this trade was just very sort of self-explanatory as to why they did it. I did not think it was a heist by any means. I know everyone knows Matt Liebertor. He's the one who has not failed or stalled out as a prospect. So everyone thinks that he's uh, the big prize in this deal. But this is a Rays team that I think could win more games than any other team in baseball this year. I mean, the time to win is now for them. And adding two big league ready uh, right-handed hitters who will be able to, you know, the the one thing we know about Randy Arrezarena is that he mashes lefties and he's capable of playing all three outfield spots. So just those two skills right there are going to be very useful to a Rays team that plays in a, in a lefty heavy division in the AL East. And the same thing applies for Jose Martinez. I mean, I, I don't expect either of these guys to be full-time players even if injuries strike, just because they have so much depth, I just think they're going to be guys that mostly start against lefties. You know, maybe Martinez is so good that he starts playing against both lefties and righties at DH. But again, they, they have so much depth and so many guys that are going to want to cycle in and out of that DH spot. Uh, so with Rosarina, you know, it's it's much more easier to see how he becomes a part of a big league twenty five man or twenty six man roster. Uh, yeah, but twenty six now. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean. Like a, you know, like I said, short side platoon for him. Libertor, uh, I think it's a, a slight upgrade for his dynasty league value, assuming he's not included in a Nolan Arenado deal. Uh, the Cardinals have as good a track record as anyone of developing starting pitchers internally, so I think that that's a good fit. And then the move from the AL to the NL, also a, a slight upgrade there uh, for any pitcher. So uh, modest bump for, for Libertor's value. With Arena, it didn't really affect my value on him. I mean, he's got interesting speed. He's obviously got proximity. But I think we have a bit clearer picture of just how he'll be used going forward. Yeah, I know you haven't been that high on Arena, but um, do you think he could be more than just the short side platoon bat? Like, and now that he's in this organization, he probably won't be. But if he'd stayed in St. Louis, do you think he'd be a, a guy with a decent MLB future? Or is this just kind of what he was always panning out to be? Well, if he'd been, you know, if, if you put him on the tigers or something then (laughs) then i think he becomes a borderline top 100 prospect because i just think he would get so many plate appearances uh because nobody would really challenge him uh you know i I don't think he's going to get that opportunity with the rays like you alluded to but i also don't necessarily think he was going to get that opportunity with the cardinals i mean he was maybe their fifth or sixth outfielder on the depth chart uh when you factor in dylan carlson so uh you know i think this probably gives him a better chance to collect a big league paycheck uh, consistently going forward just because with the Cardinals he might have just been languishing at AAA for for a lot of the a lot of the time. Yeah, I was thinking after Marcelo Zuna signed with the Braves, that Cardinals outfield's actually looking kind of thin, but they do have Carlson as you mentioned. Do you think Carlson's up pretty pretty quick? Do you think he should be a redraft end game type of target? Yeah, if you can get him in the end game, I think he's uh, absolutely worth a bench spot. You know, I mean, you're probably going to cut a lot of the guys that end up on your bench in April and May anyway. Uh, and at least if you draft him now, you can sort of see how he does in spring training. I mean, there's there's a chance that his ADP jumps like 80 spots between now and opening day if he has a really big spring training. Uh, if he doesn't set the world on fire, there's no guarantee he's up in April. 
So when you take him, you need to sort of have that mapped out. Like, all right, if he's not on the big league roster on May 1st, am I just going to keep holding him? Like, am I going to be willing to cut bait? You're going to have to factor that all in now. But, at, but you know, at this point in the calendar, I think he's a great guy to, to stash. Nice, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you're still not on the Tyler O'Neill train? <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, he, there's just no real evidence that he'll be able to uh, – be a league average hitter in the big leagues and so yeah i get that kind of fading him but you know obviously the the power is there mm-hmm. uh he's another guy that i think could use a change of scenery though too there's just a lot of guys it'll be interesting to see who emerges from this group of fringe outfielders there in st louis i also saw a tweet suggesting ron hell Ravelo uh could you know factor into the outfield mix boy oh boy uh, watch out for him but that'll be that'll be cool um before we get back to the list, I was just thinking about other like fringe, deep, not necessarily deep league, but end game and in, in, in redraft leagues. I saw that Jared Kalenic is getting a spring training invite. I took him with the last pick in our mock draft for the mag, just throwing a dart. Any chance he's fantasy relevant this year? Yeah, I in my article for the magazine, I listed him in the uh, hitters for standard leagues. So that's another guy that I think is, is a worthwhile end game option, even in non-draft and hold formats, just because, I mean, the Mariners are not really uh, hiding the fact that they are pushing guys pretty quickly to the big leagues. Uh, you know, Evan White, it looks like has a, has a really solid shot to not even play at AAA before making his big league debut after signing that extension. And look, there's not going to be a ton of outstanding offensive performers in camp for them. And so Jared Kalenic probably is going to look like one of the better players uh, that could possibly make the the roster. I don't really see them uh, pulling a Fertano Tatis necessarily and, and having him break camp with the big leaguers. But it's possible, and it's possible that he could – get an extension just like white did mm-hmm. so you know kalenic is the only reason he would not get to the big leagues in fairly short order is if he he struggles much more than people are expecting at triple a nice yeah I, those are always the types i'm looking out for even if he were to break camp i don't see him having the fernando tatis jr type of fantasy impact at least rotisserie but you know all those guys who are most people think yeah he's not going to be up for a while i don't want to play that game those are always kind of the end game darts I'm, I'm looking to throw. Plus, he can hit a moving frisbee. It's true with a ball, and that's better to me <laughs> for me than a best shape of your life story. So, uh, back to these trades, though. Will Wilson. That was a situation where they kind of they attached him to uh, Zach Kozar, right? Just to basically get rid of Kozar's uh, salary, get that money off the books. Yeah, I mean, this is just a dream trade for a rebuilding club like the Giants. I know some rebuilding clubs are not willing to spend what the Giants might be willing to spend amid their rebuild. Uh, so maybe it's not an option if you're a fan of some some other uh, team that's that's rebuilding right now. But this is what I would be trying to do if I had ownership's approval is just buy prospects from desperate teams that are like the Angels were a desperate team looking to get off money uh, in order to give that money to, to another free agent. And Will Wilson, I think, was just in general a good buy low when they when they traded for him uh, because I don't think he hit uh, quite up to his capabilities in his pro debut. So love that pickup by the Giants. I mean, you're getting 
certainly not a top 100 real life prospect, but borderline top 100 fantasy prospect, definitely a top 200 real life prospect, a guy that could be a, a bat for a second baseman and really hit for average, hit for power. Uh, so really good get by the Giants. Yeah, I know that's going to be a pretty long rebuild, especially for the fans there after you know, suffer through it, but I think they're in good hands with Farhan Zaidi. So I think this is a first, you know, maybe not the first step, but a good step in the right direction. Emmanuel Classe, still prospect eligible. He was part of the Kluber deal. Maybe I'm lower on Kluber, higher on Classe than others, but I did not see this as a straight salary dump. Um, I know relievers inherently have limited value. They can only affect the game so much. But this is a very unique reliever. Throws just absolute gas, and it's a very unique pitch he throws. So I think this is a a big difference maker for Cleveland. And you know, I, I guess I don't know what Kluber is anymore. Yeah, I'm much more confident in what Class A is and what Kluber is at this point. Uh, but I think you know, I mean that that's one way of of getting a a guy of his with his upside is by cashing in a young reliever uh, with this much team control. I mean, the, the Indians get him for six years now. Um, it's it's frustrating just because they already had one of the best young relievers in James Karinchak, and so now they, they got both of them in the same bullpen. So for Dynasty Leagues, it's tricky because, you know, one of them probably eventually gets that job whenever they move on from hand, but uh, you don't know which one it's going to be. Right. Um, and Karinchak to date has definitely shown that he's got a higher strikeout upside but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the more effective big league pitcher uh so that's something to to watch i mean in april and even in in march i'm going to be checking to see how those guys look who who's gotten off to a better start and then that's probably your your handcuff for bad hand yeah i think i mean even in al i like the idea of getting all three of them maybe if you can in a mixed league too Although bench spots at a premium there, I, I just really have a hard time, like you, figuring out who would who would it be as the next man up. Uh, but I really like Klasse and and the skill set. I'm optimistic about him and Karinchak. Uh, I think I like Klasse a little more, but it's it's very close. Next up, James, your pitcher tiers, and just to be clear, these differ from your tiers in the magazine. These are pitching pitcher tiers for long term leagues, not for. For this upcoming right, season, right. yeah, this is just uh, you know it's a very easy article for me to do every year. Is basically just go up, go down my top four hundred, and then uh, turn it into article form by position, but also kind of letting people know where I see the the value gaps uh, because it's not you know it's not linear. It's not like well the tenth best prospect and the twentieth best prospect. Like sometimes those gaps are very small. Sometimes those gaps are, are very big, just depending on the players involved so i think it's just a nice way of sort of showing people where i sort of see the value yeah so when you get the magazine or see that uh, rookie tiers article on the site you will see you know different order these guys in different tiers but these are for long-term leagues pitching tiers and that first tier forrest whitley mackenzie gore jesus lazardo willie's still your number one overall pitching prospect correct yes so i know that's kind of uh he's faded a little bit in some evaluator's eyes just after the suspension and some struggles last year what makes you so confident that Whitley is a safer bet than Mackenzie Gore and Jesus Lazardo? uh well I don't think any of them are safe bets I think uh you know if you look when I when I did my uh best pitching prospects of the decade article over the offseason uh 
Gore is basically the only guy on there who hasn't really failed yet. And I think that's why everyone likes him the most right mm-hmm. now is because he's shiny. He has never struggled, but he's also never pitched uh, in the upper levels like Whitley has for, for a significant amount of time. And that's typically where your struggles manifest. So I think everything that people are saying about Mackenzie Gore right now, they were saying about Force Whitley this time last year and just Whitley – uh, had to overhaul his delivery because he kept, uh, you know, dealing with just minor, you know, whether it be a back or just a shoulder. Like his his delivery was uh, becoming an issue from a from a health standpoint. So he completely overhauled it in season, and so obviously the, the results weren't great. But you wouldn't really think that they would be great necessarily if a six seven pitchers adjusting a delivery he's used for over five years. Uh, but you know, he was still missing bats during that time. Uh, with him, it's just going to be – it's going to take a while for a guy his size to really rein in that command, that control. But I still think he's got a chance for several 70-grade pitches and then a couple others that could be plus. So, I mean, it's just – it's an absolute ace repertoire if he can stay healthy, if he can throw strikes. And, you know, I think we're going to see him hopefully for a good chunk of the season in the big league rotation. Very nice. Yeah, Gore is interesting. That weird leg kick, I mean, it doesn't like – make me nervous or I don't have any concerns with it, but it's just strange. And if you want a friendly reminder of just how volatile these, even the top the cream of the crop, the best pitching prospects in the game can be, do check out James's top pitching prospects of the decade because even the best guys with the most talent just sometimes don't pan out. It's, a, it's an unnatural, violent motion throwing a baseball and it's very hard to do yeah, I, I mean i think the the biggest bust i had in the hitter list but relative bust was jason hayward and jason hayward's had a couple really good fantasy yeah. seasons whereas the matt bust moore. on the pitcher side yeah matt yeah. moore alex reyes like <laughs> shelby miller like i mean the the lows are very very low if you're a pitching prospect yeah so if you're thinking about paying the freight in a dynasty trade maybe just bring yourself back down to earth by checking out that that and, article. and I don't have any of these guys in this top tier in my top 10 overall. I have 14 hitters ahead of Forrest Whitley, and I know a lot of people have like Mackenzie Gore up in that like top five territory. I just think that that's crazy given how many good hitters there are and how risky all pitching prospects are. I know Gore's numbers look great. Uh, he could he could have a great season in the big leagues this year. That's That's in play, but I don't think we should be expecting that. Just the nature of pitching prospects, you have to naturally downgrade them, I think. And when you're looking long-term, you just have to push up the hitters who are much safer, generally. And Lazardo, we were both pretty high on him going into last year. He, of course, hurt his shoulder. Spring training was limited. How many innings are we looking at with Lazardo this year, you think? Best-case scenario. I think he, he could get like 120 in okay. the big league rotation. And that's pretty good. I think that's right around his ADP like so you're paying like uh you're really paying for all 120 of those innings if you draft him right now which is something I I probably wouldn't do at his current price tier two has some names you know like tier one although I don't know how much I'm going to be investing in Whitley and Gore but tier two actually has quite a few names that I am looking for in 2020 Spencer Howard being among them Uh, Dustin May Nate Pearson I like quite a bit Uh, Matt Manning heads up tier two though is there any chance you know he debuts this year, or do you think this is one where the Tigers hold him down for most of the season? I think that if everything just went perfectly 
with Manning and Mize this year, the Tigers would probably bring them up in June or July. Uh, but I mean, they, you know, I thought Manning should have been at AAA for a good chunk of last season. He wasn't. Um, Mize might have gotten there if he hadn't just really fallen off a cliff uh, after you know around the halfway point. But this is this is a Tigers team that is years away from being remotely competitive. So I don't I don't really see why they would bring these guys up in April or May. I do think they will be in the big league rotation uh, for the second half, though, if they stay healthy. And Spencer Howard, I just think opportunity will be there. The Phillies really haven't made any additions to the rotation. I was looking into Zach Eflin today, like, ugh, man, the issues against lefties, issues with the long ball. I think he could be decent in the bullpen, but when you got Eflin and Vince Velasquez rounding out the rotation, I just see a lot of uh, a window there for for Spencer Howard to crack the rotation pretty early. Uh, I believe, if, correct me if I'm mistaken, but you drafted Howard in our magazine mock draft. Uh, sounds about right. I definitely have tweeted about him being a guy that I would want to target at his current price. I, I think he's probably the best bet uh, to kind of pull a Paddock slash Tatis and just surprise everyone by making the team out of camp because of everything you you laid out. You know, I mean, yeah, the Padres need to win now, so Gore's in that mix too. But the Phillies really, really need to win now. Like they, they've invested so much in this team. A lot of the guys in this team are in their prime or post prime, uh, and they have a glaring hole in that fifth starter spot, in my opinion. I think Howard's going to look the part in camp, and uh, given their competitive window um, and the fact that he's probably going to break at some point over the next six years and and need some sort of surgery, I don't, I don't really see any drawbacks to to jump in the gun and, and putting them in the rotation on opening day yeah you filled out our sleepers page for the 2020 draft kit and i know howard was on there so maybe that's what i'm thinking of in the, your tweets too but yeah it's just uh an upside play that I, I like quite a bit right now we'll see as spring training progresses if that price really ticks up like it did with paddock and others um i'm hoping that it stays the price stays relatively low dustin may you know would seem to have a chance, but unlike Spencer Howard, there's not that clear opening in the rotation for May. You're still optimistic about him as a starter long-term. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I the, the the frustrating thing with May is there's probably going to be some gaps between, you know, his, his big league starts. Uh, there might be a time where he just gets skipped for a couple turns or – uh, maybe moves to the bullpen at the end of the season or the beginning of the season or something. But I think one way or another, he gets, you know, I don't know, 130, 140 innings in the big league rotation this year. I just, I don't look at the rest of those guys outside of Kershaw and Bueller and see just a bunch of guys. Oh, yeah, 180 innings, 180 innings. I mean, it's a bunch of guys where, you know, Julio Urias, like, same thing with Lazardo, probably 120 innings. Um, Kent Alex to, Wood, Alex maybe Wood, five. Kent Maeda, like those guys yeah. are are certainly not uh, super durable. I'm not even factoring Jimmy Nelson into this because I think his arm's pretty much done. Uh, so there's there's going to be innings one way or another. May's good enough. Uh, he showed last year. He showed in the minors last year that he's good enough to be a quality big league starter on a team as good as the Dodgers. So I'm I'm not. I don't have much trepidation drafting May. I admit that he probably will be a, a slightly frustrating guy to own uh, this year, but 
the new DL or the new IL rule uh, is going to make it tougher for the Dodgers to play games like that. So in, in 15 team team leagues, especially, I think May is a, a good guy to go get. Yeah, no longer can teams just place a guy on the 10 day IL and skip one turn. If you're taking off the active roster, either IL'd or optioned, you have to miss two full turns as a pitcher. 15-day period, option period, and 15-day injured list for pitchers. Uh, we talked about Spencer Howard, a former Philly, Sixto Sanchez. You've been kind of, I guess, the wor- the uh, the voice of reason, I guess, with Sixto. You've always kind of talked people down a little bit. Um, I know they're moving in the fences at Marlins Park. Still a good place to pitch, and I would think opportunity would be there for Sixto as well. But are you kind of expecting some some bumps in the road uh, upon arrival? Well, he he did, you know, he he passed the test I would have had for him last year with flying colors. He he got up to a, a career high 114 innings. He finished the season healthy, which is as important as anything with him. Uh, so I mean, he comes into this year, yeah, he throws really hard. There, he's he's a shorter pitcher. He's not small. He's thick. Like he, he can handle a starter's workload, but he's a, a shorter guy who throws really hard. Always at risk of an injury there. But as of right now, I mean, he's he's fully healthy he dominated he just absolutely dominated down the stretch last year uh not you know he remind he's a lot like uh dustin may and casey mize in that those guys aren't necessarily gonna ever have a 250 strikeout season but they're both they're all really good at preventing runs when they're on so i think you can get really good ratios out of sanchez and you know the, the strikeouts will be there uh, over a full season so you got to be careful with all these guys, but I'm about as high on Sixto Sanchez as I've as I've ever been, just because of of what he accomplished last season. Interesting, yeah. The Marlins starting staff as a whole was actually surprisingly good. So, whatever they're doing with like development and coaching there on the pitching side seems to be working. So, yeah, and I know you like Sandy Alcantara quite a bit this year, right? Yeah, some I, interesting end game guys in that rotation. I, I do not understand Sandy Con- Alcantara's ADP at all. I mean, I, I don't really expect it to be where it is uh, when we get to March, but getting to draft him as like your SP6 when he got up to around 200 innings last year, finished the season really strong, mixing in a new pitch. I, I don't understand why everyone's sleeping on him. And we touched on Mides a little bit. Nate Pearson, obviously the division isn't ideal and um, the Blue Jays defense graded out pretty poorly last year, but well, some of those younger guys weren't around for the whole season, so those skewed the season-long defensive numbers. And Pearson, we know he throws gas. What is uh, what do you think is the long-term outlook for for Nate Pearson? Really good pitcher if he stays healthy, but uh, you know another high-risk guy just because of how hard he throws. Uh, and then you know I think that team context, like if you're just drafting or if you're ranking teams based on you know your preference of what organization a pitching prospect will be coming up in i think i would have the rockies last i would have the orioles second to last i'd probably have the blue jays third to last just because of the division the fact that you know all three of the yankees red sox rays are going to be really good offenses year in year out uh you know, pitching in Baltimore is not any fun, even when they've got a quadruple A lineup out there. So, but, you know, I, I don't really love the team context. The defense, like you alluded to, might be you know average at best. So, uh, but that's that's really out of his control. I mean, he's he's a great pitching prospect. Um, I wish he was on the Dodgers or something like that. But yeah, I mean, he's he's a he's in this in this final or the second tier. 
Yeah, last guy in the second tier. And kicking off the third tier, Michael Kopech, Brendan McKay, Luis Patino, Clark Schmidt, Mitch Keller in this one as well, Jose Urquidy, a really nice postseason run for him, Edward Cabrera, Grayson Rodriguez, Josiah Gray, Simeon Woods, Richardson, Braylon Marquez, Jordan Belazovic, and George Kirby rounding running out the, the third tier. So those guys all kind of bunched up. I know Mitch Keller getting some buzz. Arkady, I like quite a bit for this year. Anybody else from this pack that you like, especially for 2020? Uh, not really at their prices. You know, I mean, I know Kopech and McKay are going to be guys that, that go in pretty much every draft. Uh, I, I'm worried a little bit about uh, just the fact that, you know, Kopech, Tommy John surgery is not 100%. Um, and the fact that he didn't make it back last year, I mean, I know that he – it's not a huge red flag that he didn't make it all the way back last year, but, um, you know, I would have liked to have at least seen him get into a, a rehab start or two. Um, so it's just there's that level of risk where if he has a really good spring training and makes, you know, three, four starts where uh, the velocity is kind of staying the same, there's not really any any warning signs there, then I'll – probably get back in on him but it'll be too late by then but i just think it's it's risky to just assume he's going to be uh awesome michael kopech this year in his first year back from Tommy down surgery especially when command was his biggest weakness in the first place uh you know at best i think he's going to be a huge whip risk this year um probably not going to have the greatest era either the strikeout should be there uh if he's healthy mckay i'm just worried about the role um you know how many times does he get to qualify for a win you know he could take one of those starting spots and run with it, but maybe the Rays just say, hey, we've got Blake Snell in a spot, we've got Tyler Glass in a spot, and the rest of it's kind of just going to be shuffling around as the season goes. Uh, but, yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, Urquidy especially, just because I think Keller, the hype train, is really kind of building with him. Uh, but I like Urquidy quite a bit for, for 2020. Let's get Dusty in there to have Urquidy throw 220. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love it. Um, I think it's interesting that you have Clark Schmidt here. I have him in RDI, so I love to see it. But conspicuous by his absence a little bit, uh, fellow Yankee prospect Davey Garcia. You just kind of out on Garcia given his size. He's a really small guy. Well, Clark Schmidt's a a starter, one hundred percent. Like there, there's just really no reliever risk with him, uh, barring just injuries forcing him into that type of role. Uh, he's got number two starter ceiling, pretty easy to me. Um, just a really really nice pitch mix really knows how to pitch uh garcia you know it's just when a guy's that size when he already has issues throwing strikes uh the yankees track record suggests to me that they're probably gonna either trade him or move him to the bullpen and you know i don't think that's wrong i think that's probably what i would do i don't if i were them i would just view him as a guy that could get me six outs in a in a tight spot and, and stuff would really play up in shorter bursts like that, but I could also see them trading him. I mean, he's, you know, there are some similarities there, I guess, with uh, Justice Sheffield, just in the fact that they, I think they evaluated Sheffield and said, hey, look, he's probably a reliever for us long term, but we can trade him now when he's still being developed as a starter uh, to another team that will definitely give him that opportunity. I think that that would be something that would benefit Garcia too, but even if that happened, I wouldn't just jump in love with him because I still think the strike throwing is going to be an issue. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that Yankees rotation plays out over the course of the year because Jay Happ was pretty bad last year. Uh, Jordan Montgomery coming off a major injury. 
Michael King, Domingo Herman, of course, suspended for a good chunk of the year, I think a third of the year. So uh, they're going to need starters, and just who they rotate in at the back end should be interesting. Uh, they're in New York. Those guys usually are pretty appealing in fantasy. Anybody else in this third tier you want to mention? I mean, some guys who I, I know a decent amount, Simeon Woods, Richardson, Braylon Marquez, but uh, any big risers into this tier? Uh, well, you know, part of my off-season prep for just sort of figuring out this uh, the order of this list, especially the the top, you know, the the one one to two hundred range of the list, is when I'm writing these outlooks for the magazine, and you know, Schmidt, I I started to love even more and more, uh, but Simeon Woods Richardson was a guy that I really kind of was like, wow, I've been a little too low on this guy. Uh, it was a really good get by the Blue Jays uh, in that Marcus Stroman deal. Um, he just he checks a lot of boxes. Uh, I think mid rotation starter is a pretty realistic floor for him if he can stay healthy, and there might be a little bit more there. Um, you know, I saw there was a there's a debate on in my Twitter uh, feed a day or two ago about Braylon Marquez versus George Kirby. I thought that one was pretty interesting because they couldn't really be more different. Uh, Marquez. Obviously, big lefty with the Cubs uh, has an 80 grade fastball and questionable secondaries, questionable command. George Kirby, uh, who's my favorite player or my favorite pitcher heading into last year's draft, you know he he showed off what could be elite command and elite control in his debut. Uh, I think the stuff is going to end up being pretty dominant by the time he gets to the big leagues, but that's not necessarily his calling card; it's his command. And so those two are, are sort of a fascinating uh, would, would you rather, but you know, lefties that throw or that sit in the upper 90s, touch triple digits pretty easily, like those are, are not <laughs> easy to come by at all. Um, you know, if, you're, if you can come up as a Cubs pitcher, I think that's a pretty good situation to be in. And there's, there's a ton of reliever risk with him, but if he goes to the bullpen, is he basically just going to be Araldis Chapman if, if the – uh, breaking ball comes along i mean that that could be the case as well so i i think that there's some good outcomes with marquez that don't involve him being a starting pitcher i think george kirby's definitely a starter but he also is several years away from the big league so i think that that one's a, an interesting uh, comparison nice well your prospects you need to know series is up and running nl east do you have another one up uh, uh the nl central teams. go up tomorrow okay. So you have Annalise and then Catcher Tears. So we'll go over those before we sign off today. No hip-hop discussion on the show today, but we will get back to it. Still looking for a topic. We could extend the uh, commercial jams. I'd be up for that. I mean, the problem is we get, like, a good suggestion for what we should do. Like, I mean, we have probably a dozen of those, and it's just like, how do you pick one? Um but it's just there's enough for us to cover in these these off season ones where we don't really we don't really need to get into that just yet. Yeah, I know some people understandably turn turn the show off when we get to that point, but some others <laughs> I've found out after our trip to Arizona <laughs> listen specifically for the hip hop talk. So a couple hip hop gurus talking yeah, shop. That's a given on the show. <laughs> uh, so NL East prospects you need to know. Start with the Braves. Top 100-ish guys, Drew Waters, Christian Pache, Kyle Wright, Braden Shoemake. I thought it was, well, the the Ozuna signing was interesting for a lot of reasons, but Waters and Pache, outfielders who are really kind of on the doorstep, um, 
they'd have to kind of kick the door down now or have a long-term injury ahead of them on the depth chart. But um, those two guys, Ryda as a pitcher and Shoemake, uh, pretty good top of the org with their farm system there in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, they've obviously graduated a lot of quality talent in, in recent years, so it's impressive that they still have these these top guys. Uh, you know, I thought that the Ozuna signing was just the type of thing that a smart org does where it's a one-year deal, you can go in. It's not, it, Believe it or not, it's nice to go into the year not relying on your top prospects to come through for you. I mean, if, if those guys really pop, then it's only Nick Markakis standing in their way. Uh, you know, if they don't, you can bring them along a, a little slower. Uh, they still got Austin Riley, um, who I think will be be heard from at some point. I'm not out on him yet either, but you know, I thought it was a, a pretty smart signing uh, to get a guy of Ozuna's just get another big time bat in mm-hmm. the middle of that lineup uh, on a one year deal. Yeah, you lose Donaldson, but you had you know I saw I think it was. Uh, Rob Silver suggesting maybe they just have that $18 million floating around in their budget uh, to give to whatever bat will take it. And, uh, yeah, I think Ozuna's a decent fit. Um, but, yeah, in Ciarte, they didn't they sign him to a long-term deal? He looks like a the fourth outfielder now. And, yeah, Waters and Pache just kind of going to have to force the issue this season. Uh, behind those top four names, though, Ian Anderson, Bryce Wilson, those guys both trending downward. I know you were pretty high on Wilson this time last year, but um, 2019 performance is really underwhelmed. Yeah, both those guys really uh, just trending down. It's it's a shame. Uh, Wilson, I mean, it's it's a it's a sharp fastball when he's on, but when I watched him pitch in the big leagues, he was having a hard time even locating the fastball. And when the rest of the the repertoire is pretty shaky, I mean, he's just he could benefit just from another full year at AAA, and and he's young enough where that's not going to be a huge knock on him. If he takes steps forward this year at AAA, uh, he could still become a, a number three starter, but still has some work to do. And then Ian Anderson, uh, I mean, he's young, he's got a good solid frame, he's got a mid nineties fastball, but that's pretty much where the compliments stop. I mean, he he. The, the secondary stuff did not improve, and it, it might have even regressed a little bit last year. The command at uh, AAA was was pretty terrible. Again, he's young. That's fine, but there's just – the command's been bad at every level. At a certain point, we got to hold it against you. And so, to me, if you're looking at who's going to be the, the Braves' fifth starter, I think it's, it's Kyle Wright. I mean, I think he's – what he did at AAA kind of flew under the radar last year because he wasn't very good in, in his cups of coffee in the big leagues, but – you know he really dominated down the stretch at AAA, and I think he, you know, maybe he's not quite a number three starter, but he could be a pretty solid number four for them. So that's that's the, the short time short term guy in that rotation. Nice, and you really like Michael Harris as a sleeper in this organization. What about Michael Harris? Do you like so much? Uh, just the tools. Uh, he's a guy that they got kind of in the the middle rounds of last year's draft, um, but I mean he got a. I think he got a six-figure bonus, um, chance for you know, power and speed. I think that the power might be uh, more likely than the speed, but the, the speed is you know average to above average right now. Um, and sometimes guys that are this athletic but don't necessarily grade out as as plus runners uh, can actually get faster with, with uh, professional training and 
uh, like Christian Robinson's a guy like this where I think he he actually could end up getting faster uh, this year than he was last year. Uh, so Harris just has really impressive tools. I think he could handle all three outfield spots. Definitely has enough arm for right because he was a, a two-way guy in high school. And he, he got off to a really good uh, pro debut um, in the Gulf Coast League, at least. I mean, he, he didn't handle himself at low A, but he was uh, probably the youngest guy at that level when he was there. So just a guy that could pop this year, but um, kind, kind of more of a deeper league name. I was just thinking about doing this last year, and we skipped the Reds. Remember doing the NL Central? And because I'd made you talk about the Reds prospects like each of the prior five episodes, and the guy got really mad at us for skipping the Reds. Uh, don't worry, we won't be skipping any orgs as we move through these. Uh, we'll touch on all 30, including the Marlins, who actually... Well, and if you if you like the Reds, you should tune into the, the Sirius XM show as well. They usually, yeah. they usually find a way of coming up on that program. Oh, yeah, every now and then. By the way, it's been a fun offseason as a fan, but I got my hopes up regarding Frankie. Um, that's about <laughs> the worst thing you can do is get your hopes up as a fan of a baseball team. Because you're probably going to get let down in the end. But anyway, Marlins, top 100 guys. This is a... They've added some talent here. Jazz Chisholm, of course, they got him for Zach Gallon. Sixto Sanchez, we talked about. Edward Cabrera, J.J. Blade, Monty Harrison, Cameron Meisner. Um, future looking relatively bright. you got to feel good if you're uh, one of the few Marlins fans out there. Yeah, I think they've done a lot of surprisingly smart stuff over the past year or so. Um, you know, I think they had a, a decent draft this year that – I don't love the Blade pick, especially when you look at the guys that went right after him. Uh, but Meisner and then Peyton Burdick, who they got later, are, are nice, uh, nice hauls from that class. And then uh, just a little, you know, the fact that they were willing to pay the rest of Wei Yin Chen's salary just to free up a forty-man spot—that's not something that the the Marlins of years past would have done. So I think mm-hmm. that just sort of signals that they're on the right track. Yeah, and I at least give them credit for at least trying to put a more competent f- uh, ball club on the field in twenty twenty. You know, Corey Dickerson, VR, Aguiar, and they, yeah, they've stocked up the system pretty well, too. And those guys they've brought in can be flipped for, for prospects down the line. Chisholm and Gallon, that situation gets even more fascinating for me the further removed we are from it. Just because Gallon has so much hype for 2020 heading into this year. How are you viewing that trade now? What, six, seven months removed? I'm, I'm, at the same spot. I mean, I think it made sense for both sides. I know that, you know, a lot of people just, well, Gallon's good, so therefore it can't be good for the Marlins. Um, you know, I think Gallon is good enough that he could make it look pretty bad for the Marlins, but I think Chisholm has enough upside that they could get exactly what they wanted out of the deal. I mean, they just were really lacking uh, before that trade. They were lacking high upside position players in the farm system especially ones that could contribute with the glove as well. And this gives them that. And like you said, they've been pretty good at developing pitchers. They have uh, a better rotation than you would expect a team that's rebuilding like them to have. And they have Sixto Sanchez coming and Edward Cabrera. So starting pitching was certainly not an area of need for them. And when you factor in the fact that they're not going to be competing in the next couple of years, starting pitching really wasn't an area of need for them. So by the time they're ready to, to contend for you know, 80-plus wins, 85 wins, 90 wins, then we'll start to have a pretty good idea what Jazz Chisholm is, and he could end up being a four- or five-win shortstop. And, I mean, that would be, that'd be huge for them. 
Yeah, exactly. Given where that organization was at, I thought it made sense, but I do think it's pretty, it's going to be one that we continue to track uh, over the years. Uh, Jesus Sanchez, also a part of a deadline deal last year. Um, now, we talked about the Marlins, you know, doing pretty well lately in developing pitchers. Nick Anderson, seems there was another level that they couldn't quite tap into that the Rays did. But uh, Sanchez, why is he's kind of fallen in your eyes over the last, you know, calendar year? Uh, I mean, it's kind of a um, less talked about same thing that kind of happened with Taylor Trammell where, uh, you know, as, the, the closer he got to the big leagues, the more weaknesses uh, sort of got exposed. And you can't really get by on just raw talent when you get to, to double A and triple A. And Sanchez had such good back control uh, that he was able to put up pretty good numbers in the lower levels especially, but, you know, it's kind of looked more and more pedestrian the closer he gets to the big leagues. So I think the Rays uh, were, were pretty fortunate to get what they got back for him. I mean, they got Nick Anderson, obviously, but Trevor Richards, too, is a, is a useful arm for a team like that. And Jesus Sanchez was never going to break into their outfield, so I think that was a, a pretty easy move for them to pull the trigger on. Um, you know, he's going to get playing time. He's going to get a long leash with the, the Marlins where they're at. Uh, but I just don't really see what moves the needle a ton for fantasy. He's not going to be a double-digit steal guy unless he just gets on base at a clip that he's never really shown any chance of hitting in the mm-hmm. minors, and he's not going to be a 30-homer guy, I don't think, at least not anytime soon, and he's probably not going to hit for a super high average. So just a guy that that's really tumbled down the rankings over the past year. And finally with the Marlins, Javier Sanoa and Evan Fitterer, uh, two of your favorite sleepers in this organization. This is my first time hearing either of those names, reading this outline you put together. What can you tell me about these players? So Sanoa was a J2 guy from 2019. Um, smaller middle infielder, but a chance for a really good hit tool, above average runner. Uh, I think he's good at driving the balls into the gaps. And it's a skill set that probably will play pretty well in the DSL. Uh, so I think he's a guy to keep an eye on. And then Fitterer, just a you know projectable high school arm, a little bit old for the 2019 draft class. He's already like 19 and a half. Uh, but if the fastball takes a step forward this year, which which it might, um, then he's a, a guy to keep an eye on if you're into lower level pitching prospects. Uh, the phrase "already 19 and a half" makes me feel old. James. <laughs> I don't appreciate it. Don't appreciate that whatsoever. But moving on to the Mets, a couple top 100 ish guys. Good news if you're a Mets fan who, you know, had to deal with Carlos Beltran getting fired before he even manages a game. Um, they do have some players waiting in the wings. Ronnie Mauricio, Francisco Alvarez. Um, which of these two players do you like more? Mauricio, even though I'm I'm lower on him than I think a lot of people are. You know, he's got uh, just a great body for a 18-year-old shortstop prospect, but he's not going to be much of a contributor on the base paths and we're still sort of waiting on the power which is fine uh we're waiting on the power we're waiting on you know kind of a more patient approach which is fine but we need him to really become a a big hit big power type of guy for him to justify being ranked as high as I've as I've seen him other places i think we just got to be a little bit patient with him as a with a guy with four category upside 
Alvarez, if 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 he was the shortstop and Mauricio is the catcher, Alvarez might be like a top fifty overall prospect. I mean, he just had an outstanding uh, pro debut last year as a seventeen year old who forced his way all the way to the the Appy League, I believe, which is really rare. But again, he's a eighteen year old catching prospect, so there's a lot that can go wrong between now and when he gets to the big leagues. Yeah, definitely. And two guys who are on the move up the rankings, Alexander Ramirez, Robert Dominguez. What have they done to kind of put the rocket ship on their backs and, and jump up the ranks? Well, Alexander Ramirez, you know, I think it's we're just uh, we're at the point in the calendar where, um, you know, everyone's doing their startup dynasty drafts or, or their first year player drafts. And so let's say back in November, it was you know jason dominguez was a was a big time helium guy uh you know get to november december eric pena's big time helium guy uh december january maximo costa is moving up lists and you know people are just continually looking for who's who's next who else can i poach from this j2 class it's got a ton of upside who i can maybe hit on and alexander ramirez is kind of a natural uh, candidate for that just because he's got uh, such an obvious power speed blend. Uh, we have no idea how he's going to hit. He's got a really long wingspan. I think he's like six three, six four. Uh, so just a, a big bodied, uh, athletic outfielder that typically carries a little bit of swing and miss. Uh, but if it all clicks, then I mean, he's just got a, a ton of upside and home runs and stolen bases. So uh, that's why he's uh, got got some helium right now. Robert Dominguez, kind of the same thing, but on the pitching side, both these guys were 2019 July two guys for the Mets, and Dominguez is already 18, so he's not, uh, you know, he's old for that class. But he was also, I think, touching 99, uh, which is, you know, you pay attention when you hear that from uh, from an 18 year old with with limited uh, professional instruction. Uh, high risk, but the type of guy that, you know, if the secondaries are even just fringe average, if they're usable at all for him this year, he's probably going to put up pretty huge numbers uh, in rookie ball. And, I mean, he might even get like a, a start or two at low A to finish the year if he if he does well for himself. So uh, just some guys that could pop this year, some guys that could flop this year and, and be off the list altogether, but just, you know, a ton of upside with both those guys. You talking about first-year player drafts, Makes me, you know, reminds me that I need to look into RDI. Um, I just haven't looked at it in a while. I would imagine that first year player draft starting up pretty soon, right? I think it's uh, first Monday in February. Okay. So, and roster you, you trim get, downs. You got time. I got time. I kind of, I was talking trade with an owner and just kind of, you know, one of those trades where you just kind of, your brain shuts off. Um, that's just what I did. And I haven't looked at it since. But <laughs> I'll, give, I'll get to it. Um, for the Phillies, we already talked about Spencer Howard, a rotation possibility for the Phillies. Maybe even Dark Horse to win a rotation spot in spring training. Um, I don't. I haven't seen the schedule, but maybe it's something where they don't have they don't need a fifth starter to like mid April, and that could work out pretty well. Alec Bohm, somebody you were coming around on at the end of last year. Where does he check in on your top four hundred at this point? Uh, I think he's right around forty. Um, you know, we we saw him in the AFL. Uh, really big guy. I mean, he looks like he belongs at first base. Pretty obviously, uh, he was playing first base in the AFL. They have Reese Hoskins there, obviously, so that complicates things. Uh, I mean, this is the same front office that drafted him, so 
I would assume they'll be the last to admit that he can't play third, so maybe he does get to debut at third base for them in the early going. Um, just, you know, I, I think he's a good prospect. I don't think he's an amazing prospect. Like, I don't know, maybe 30 homers, maybe 275, something like that, if it, if it all goes well for him. But um, the defensive limitations, the fact he's in the NL – um, are some slight negatives. Now this name I'm going to have some trouble with. Uh, a deep sleeper, deep, deep sleeper you like in this organization. Jehispert Sevilla? Probably Sevilla, maybe. Sevilla. Um, I'm thinking of Dan Altavilla. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another 2019 J2 guy. Just really flashy. Uh, I think the bat speed is really going to translate, especially in the, the DSL. Um you know, a guy that that has a chance. I think I think he's six foot, one fifty, something like that. So just a perfect body to grow into, uh, where he can just put on as much weight as he wants. It's not really going to be a negative for him. Um, so just not a not a top four hundred guy uh, like the the last two guys we talked about in the Mets organization. But a guy if you're in one of those leagues where like people hit me up and they say like yeah, every team roster is 60 minor leaguers and it's 30 teams. Like if you're in one of those leagues, he's a guy to to go get. Now, finally, in this division, the Nationals, Carter Keboom still a top 100 guy for you. But I'm wondering, does the decision by the Nats to bring back as Drupal Cabrera sign Starlin Castro, does that say anything to you about how they view Keboom just that he's he's still not ready? Uh yeah, I mean I I you know as Drupal Cabrera that he was great down the stretch I mean yeah like to me it's kind of a look if if we want to send Keyboom back to AAA for a few weeks we can because we've got Cabrera if he crushes it in spring training and we want to break camp with him as an everyday player then Cabrera's at that stage of his career where he knows he's the next man up uh he can mix and match a little bit um I don't think it told us anything we shouldn't have already expected like if you thought Keyboom was just going to have a monster year and thought he was like a top 10 prospect, maybe it told you something. But uh, I don't know. I think Keyboom's kind of in that Austin Riley sort of wait your turn phase of his uh, second year as a guy that could be in the big leagues. Um, not a guy that's necessarily on my radar for mixed leagues, even though I'm sure he'll be relevant at some point. Yeah, nice. That, that initial debut is just such a flop that I think a lot of people have – Kind of labeled him one thing in their minds, but I think he's you know still got a pretty bright future. Luis Garcia, Jackson Rutledge, also in this org, in the top 100 on your overall top 400 prospect rankings. What do you like about these two guys? What can you tell me um, about Luis Garcia and or Jackson Rutledge? Uh, well, Luis Garcia um, was probably the most aggressively assigned player in full season ball last year. Uh, like by far the youngest player at double a um and he you know he struggled but i think he finished strong i thought he you know he gets good good reviews for his makeup and i mean the bat to ball ability is absolutely there he probably needs to swing less just because he's he's good enough at making contact that he can put a lot of pitchers pitches into play um but he's, I think he's got the body to grow into to 20 homer power, maybe steal 10 bases, 
hit around 300, but I think we're still probably talking two, three years down the road before that really comes into focus because he's going to have to adjust his swing path to get to that type of power. But um, just don't write him off because of his double A numbers. I mean, he could go to double A again this year, be pretty good, and still be maybe the youngest player in uh, in that league. A guy with helium, Andre Laura. Um, is he kind of a first year guy, like like some of the others that yes. just kind of on the tip of everybody's tongue who's drafting first year players? Yes, he was the top pitcher at the time uh, on July two. Um, I think he's probably still the top guy for me. Uh, Robert Dominguez is is in that mix a little bit as well, but um, you know, Lara is already six foot four, two hundred and seventeen pounds, and he's about to enter his age 17 season so yeah big boy i mean he's big and i think it's possible like some guys that some pitchers that sign when they're and and are already this big just never even come close to getting to the big leagues because they just get so big that they just can't really be good pitchers anymore Mm -hmm. um he's gonna have to be really diligent with his uh cardio and his diet i hope that the i assume the nationals will have a a good program in place for him to to kind of be on top of that stuff but if he can keep his body in check uh he's already got he's already been up to 95 uh could just be an absolutely monster heater with with late life uh and you know he's got a breaking ball that he can get swings and misses on already uh just big big upside with him but also big big body oh yeah I'm glad this job doesn't require um, cardio work <laughs> and proper high. eating. That's that's a plus for me. Uh, buy low, guys. Jeremy De La Rosa, Yasel, and Tuna. Um, still optimistic even after somewhat disappointing statistical performances last year. Yeah, Jeremy De La Rosa was uh, aggressively sent to the Gulf Coast League. Uh, the Nationals like to do that uh, with with their J two guys. They really believe in. Um, you know, he's got power. He's got speed. Uh, was still an above league average hitter last year, but the the slash line doesn't look great. You know, he struck out almost thirty percent of the time, but uh, just turned eighteen uh, uh, about a week ago. So. He could go back to the Gulf Coast League, maybe go to um, Auburn and and have a have a solid bounce back year. I think so. That's that's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, and then Yasel Antuna, uh, first he was going to miss most of the year with uh, Tommy John surgery, and then I think there was a lower body issue as well. So he's been out of sight, out of mind for a while, but he's gotten stronger. Uh, in his layoff, and he's still got a chance to be a, a power-hitting third baseman down the road. Yeah, I remember that name, but it's, I do feel like it's been a while since I've since we've talked about Yasel and Tuna. A sleeper here for the Nats, Juan Garcia. What can you tell me about him? Uh, up the middle player, uh, defensive home TBD, but 70-grade speed. He's got a really uh, projectable frame as well, so... Um, he'll be able to add 20 to 30 pounds uh, without slowing down much and he's got good bat speed so just he's got all the tools we really care about uh, when we're trying to get in on these 16 17 year old guys uh, before anyone else nice and we're gonna wrap the show up today by talking about your catching prospect tiers and this is always a position that we're trying to figure out as fantasy owners and um you generally 
I'm not all about catchers in dynasty leagues, but if you can get a really good one like Adley Rutschman, who's uh, in a tier of his own here atop the pool, um, yeah, you can make exceptions for guys like that. But just so dinged up, limited impact on the rotisserie game, just given uh, the limited games played. But uh, always have to f- try to find some guys who you like at this position who not everybody is on. And one guy who I know for this year behind Rutschman and Bart is Sean Murphy here, but you like him quite a bit for, for 2020. Yeah, I do. I now the the big um the big qualifier is just the the lower body injuries each of the last 2 years uh and the fact that he's a catcher, you know, certainly not what you want to see, but without the the injury uh, question marks with him and just the uh, can he hold up over a full big league season, you know, I would be extremely high on him. Uh, higher than I am on him just because I think the the power, uh, the batting average, you know, I think they're going to both be positives relative to the position, which obviously isn't saying much, but not many guys are positive in both batting average and power at that position. I think he could be a uh, 25-plus homer guy, and part of the reason I think that is because I think he's going to be one of the best defensive catchers in the league. So, you know, maybe the A's won't fully turn him loose this year as they kind of let him, uh, you know, kind of gradually work up the innings caught count for him but you know two three four years down the road I think he could be one of those Sal Perez Yadi Molina types that's kind of in the lineup almost every day for his defense so that'll allow him to compile the counting stats and uh, you know again like a 270 275 average I think in his peak seasons that's pretty darn good for a catcher who's going to hit 20 plus homers uh, so yeah I, I like him a lot for this year I mean I like you know, there's there's some guys in that middle range of catcher where, you know, you're probably not going to get two of them, but if you can get one of them and then just you know get like a Victor Caratini type of guy at mm-hmm. the end of the draft, I think there's there's a lot of appealing ways to approach the position this year. Yeah, catcher is pretty boring, but you're always trying to find that Omar Narvaez, the next. Omar. Uh, I don't know why I laughed. I just you know that that type like it's the guy who you know you see something there, maybe there's a run, and you just hope to. Hope to strike gold in one season from a guy like Ooh, that. Do you have a guy in for at catcher this year that you are in on? I'm trying to think who I've taken in my early drafts. You know, I kind of like Austin Romine, to be completely honest, just because he's free. And on the Tigers, he'll probably be playing two out of three days. He's one guy who's in that mix nice. for me. Yeah, I like that. I, I like Sean Murphy and Carson Kelly. Carson Kelly's a good one. Quite a bit. I I was actually toying with the idea. I was like looking at ADP. Um, there might be a spot in the draft where you could just, hey, double tap catcher. Hey, double tap. <laughs> My favorite. I actually did end up with Buster Posey in one league just because he's fallen so much. I was just like, whatever, at least I'm going to get some volume and a decent average there. Back to Murphy real quick. I saw on Twitter somebody asked you, Will Smith versus Murphy, and Smith's a guy a lot of people are high on. I'm not as much – you suggested you might take Murphy straight up over Will Smith. Does that mostly come down to the batting average differential, yeah. or what is it? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Will Smith's batted ball profile, I mean, it's really, really extreme. Uh, I think he's got an over 50% fly ball rate, something like that, like Reese Hoskins territory where he's going to have to you know, either adjust that or you're just going to have to live with a bad batting average. And, um you know he's he's been an on base guy in the past. He's he's a good defensive catcher, so I think he'll be in the lineup a decent amount. But 
Uh, I think Murphy hits for a higher average. I think the power is similar. So uh, I probably would go Murphy there. Um, Will Smith is, you know, he's, he's a great uh, low-end catcher one option too, though. Yeah, maybe I'm putting too much stock into his late slide, but I always want to see a guy dig themselves out of it mm-hmm. before the end of the year and actually see it on the field. I still have a lot of hope for Will Smith, but he really struggled uh, even into the NLCS after that hot start. Uh, tier three, Dalton Varsho. I saw he's coming to spring training with the big club. Francisco Alvarez, Ryan Jeffers. A little disappointed to not see Tyler Stevens. Well, he's in the article. I, I wanted it to just be the, the best of the best that we talk about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, Varsho, that's a. Uh, that's actually pretty good news that he got that camp invite because he had a pretty ugly uh, ankle injury uh, over the offseason. He was playing in Japan, I believe, and it was a grade three sprain, which is which is really serious, obviously. So um, it's good that they, you know, at least think there's a chance he could join the team. And I, I was actually expecting him to maybe uh, not be ready for the start of the minor league season, just given the severity of the injury and his position. But that's that's uh, that's good news for sure. I, he's he's probably. Honestly, Dalton Varsho might be the hardest guy I have to rank in the entire minor league pool because uh, there's just so much, there's so many variables in play with him where you're hoping that he's catcher eligible, but it's not a lock because he's not a good defensive catcher. This is a team that really values up the middle defense. Uh, Carson Kelly is certainly not going to lose his uh, primary role anytime soon. So you're, you're hoping Varsho gets. 20 starts at the position per season to keep that eligibility, which is not a lock. Uh, if the bat's as good as it's it's looked in the minors, and if it's as good as a lot of people think it is, then he'll it'll play just fine in left field. Uh, and you still might get a, a guy that hits 15 homers and steals 15 bases. But if he's only outfield eligible, then you know the, those guys aren't that tricky to find. I mean, 15, 15 guys don't grow on trees, but. If you're getting that from a guy who's only eligible in the outfield, um, you know it's it's and and he could still be getting starts at catcher, but without getting that fantasy eligibility. Like I could see them having him as like the third catcher who gets, you know, starter two a month, and hmm. so it's just if I know for sure he's gonna be catcher eligible, then he's probably I don't know forty spots higher on my rankings. Um, but we just don't know that, and we can't kid ourselves into thinking he's going to overtake Carson Kelly there. Like the best case scenario is that he's just the backup and gets it that way. But uh, if he gets catch eligibility, then he's going to be a legit double digit steal threat every single season. So he's he's really interesting, really unique, uh, really tough guy to rank. Yeah, I think he's an interesting player, mostly because of that speed. I've seen a fifty-five slapped on. On his speed as a catcher, he's got. I think he's got forty steals and thirty homers as a pro. Jeez. So he's uh, more steals than than long balls. He doesn't so, look fast. I mean, do you yeah. remember? Do you remember seeing him in the no, AFL? No, but years I saw ago? a picture just recently. He's pretty stocky. Yeah, I mean he's <laughs> he, he's built like uh, like a college wrestler. I mean he, he's not. He doesn't look like a burner, but I mean I think it's it's something he's good at. It's something that'll probably be a part of his game. You know, I love spring training. I don't think spring training stats matter at all, but just to see these young kids get their feet wet and some fringe players that you never would see otherwise. Um, looking forward to it. Far show. 
among the non-roster invitees, along with Yasmani Tomas. True story. Ooh. I rostered Yasmani Tomas nice. in a fantasy league less than a calendar year Was that ago. the same league you rostered Arzmendi Alcantara on? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually the stake league, and I, I actually dropped Yasmani Tomas to pick up Aristides Aquino. Oh. Just because I had, I was like... This isn't going to be anything. Nobody uh, nobody wanted Aquino, so I just said, hey, let's see what we got. Um, but, yeah, the fact that I even picked up Yasmani Tomas is quite an indictment on me as a player. James, anything else you want to mention here before we sign off? I uh, got the NL Central article going up. Um, might even be up by the time you listen to this, if you're listening uh, Thursday afternoon or Thursday during lunch. So uh, keep an eye out for that one. We'll be able to talk plenty of Reds. Uh, after that goes up on the site yeah uh, and then looking forward to farm future or uh farm friday starts up on friday that's at what 11 eastern yeah 11 eastern 10 central farm friday back on sirius xm fantasy sports radio can't wait for that james always a pleasure talking with you and we'll be here every wednesday on the prospect podcast and check out jeff and scott Jinstad on usually sunday night but Uh, Monday just to be safe looking forward to talking with you guys again regularly hit us up on Twitter with any feedback I'm at Clay W Link James is at RealJR Anderson thank you for listening we'll talk to you next week Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.